Welcome to our third episode of Illuminative On Air. I'm Monica Brain, the series producer. I am so excited about our show today. Tara Gatewood, host and producer for the national radio show Native America Calling, brings you a sound-rich taste of Hawaii. She highlights the latest efforts to protect a sacred mountain, Mauna Kea. Protesters recently left the mountain after a long demonstration against building yet another telescope. But first, Illuminative recently hosted a virtual town hall to address the current state of Native Americans as coronavirus threatens to have a devastating impact on tribal communities such as the Navajo Nation and others across the country. Illuminative is grateful to have partnered with Indian Collective, Indian Country Today, and Taboo from the Black Eyed Peas to explore how the crisis has further highlighted the invisibility, inequality, and health disparities that Native Americans experience and what must be done to support these disproportionately affected communities as they face mass shortages of food, water, and medical supplies. According to the CDC, over 20% of COVID fatalities are among African Americans, over 16% are among the Latinx community, and over 6% are Asian American. As of May 5th, 55% of total COVID-19 cases in New Mexico are Native Americans, and the Navajo Nation is suffering from the third highest rate of COVID-19 per capita in the country. Talking about how COVID-19 impacts communities of color and what can be done about it now and going forward is vital to our future. During this segment, you will hear from one of the first two Native women elected to Congress, Representative Deb Holland from Laguna Pueblo, the first Native woman elected as Lieutenant Governor of Minnesota, Peggy Flanagan, who's White Earth Band of Ojibwe, Monica Ramirez, co-founder of the Latinx House, and Dr. Dwayne Proctor of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. At the beginning of the panel, we hear from U.S. Representative Deb Holland about the economic impact on tribes. Uh, We're working hard to make sure that this next legislative package contains what tribes need. Uh, We fought for the $8 billion. We wanted it to be 20 in the last package. It's hard when the White House comes back with zero. And so we're fighting from 20 to zero. We end up with $8 billion for tribes. Minnesota Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan lost her brother to COVID-19. She emphasized that this pandemic is disproportionately affecting people of color and putting a spotlight on the inequalities that existed before. I think one of the things that we've heard is that somehow COVID-19 is this great equalizer, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, What this has, has done is laid bare the inequities that exist in our state and all across the country. Too often we talk about getting back to normal, well, normal wasn't working for us. And so unless we are centered in that recovery, um, we will go back to uh, conditions that continued these inequities. Disaggregation of data uh, is, and across all measures, is very key for us being able to target resources and making sure that we're meeting the needs in the community um, because you measure what you care about. And unless we are seen and heard and valued and counted, our issues will, will be ignored. For the Latinx community, Monica Ramirez points out that these inequities are also exacerbated by the immigration debate. 
I feel as though in our community, we're really in a race against time to try to get the resources to the community from the protective gear and other and other things to try to keep people safe in this moment. But it's been quite alarming and disheartening to us that the political leaders of our nation, while they understand that our work is important, they do not value our human lives in the way that they should be. And therefore, they're not taking the measures that need to be taken in this moment to keep us safe and healthy. For the African-American community, Dr. Dwayne Proctor points to the high rates of deaths from COVID-19 and also draws a connection to racism in society that influences health outcomes. I think in a lot of ways, what's going on among African-American communities is so similar to what's going on in our indigenous communities as well. Um, We're seeing reports that in many cities, Chicago, Detroit, and New York and other places, that the deaths of African-Americans defy the actual proportions of the population that we hold in in those places. This is not biological uh, with us. This has to do with the uh, systems that affect our lives, that affect our health outcomes, that have always been ripe with discrimination and racism and sexism and other forms of things that will give you stressors and will keep people from being healthy. At the end of this panel, we asked everyone what their call to action was to address these issues. You're going to hear from Dr. Proctor, Representative Holland, Minnesota Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan, and Monica Ramirez. We need more Native Americans in public office, plain and simple, from school board to uh, the presidency, quite frankly. We need to make sure that we are in the positions to make the decisions that we need made for our people. I really want to make sure that we can just also lift up the incredible tribal leaders and leaders of tribal government in this moment who are making impossible decisions. And I am grateful to be able to partner with them. So I think the amplification of the work that they are doing on the ground is really, really critical. I long for a day when people are more upset about the lack of investment in the Indian Health Service and the educational system and the infrastructure for Indian country uh, than they are about a Native woman no longer selling dairy products. And I'm just like, I'm here for it, I'm ready. Keep raising your voice, keep organizing, create spaces for Indigenous voices to be heard. And if you have decision makers who aren't doing what you need them to do, I need you to step up and run for office. I want to see our peoples come together. I think there's so much greater um, uh, power that we all have that we're all using in different ways. I'd like to see everybody come together and use power. Our lives are intertwined. Our health is intertwined. Our struggles have been intertwined for centuries. And also to keep our eye on the prize. We need to make certain that um, all of our people register to vote. And we got to remember that there's a census this year. If we are able to link arms and push together, we'll be able to achieve the change that is needed now and, and you know into the future. And, and I also agree that we have to build the world of our dreams and we're only going to be able to do that if we can see each other and understand what it is that we long for and what it is that we need. So my call to action is for us to continue to come together and commit to pushing together for a, for a better day for all of us. Coming up, we'll turn it over to the nationally syndicated Isleta Pueblo and Diné broadcaster who takes us to one of the islands of Hawaii for the latest on a struggle to protect the sacred. We'll hear about the impact COVID-19 is having on a deeply rooted stand against the development of a 30-meter telescope that aims to be built on top of a special summit on Hawaii, the Big Island. Ha-ha. 
Minukakim Herimba. I'm Tara Gatewood, host and producer of Native America Calling. And my understanding, the many things our sovereign nations hold close to their hearts, is further ignited by the sounds and cultures that have sustained our indigenous societies for generations. And this connection has also led me to establish a musical exploration of just who we are as the first inhabitants of our lands. I call it Indigenous Foundation. And it explores the baselines of our communities one song at a time and airs each Saturday on Santa Fe, New Mexico's KSFR. In this journey, I've paid close attention to the sounds and vibrations of Kanaka Maoli, or as they are often called, Native Hawaiians. One story that's evolved over the years through the music is the stance to protect Mauna Kea, or Mauna Awakea. It's become a movement, and in short, it's about a mass of indigenous people and their allies pushing back against further development on one of their sacred places, in this case, a dormant volcano. Mauna Kea is the highest mountain in the world from the sea floor, so the summit stands above the clouds. Its base is anchored deep in the ocean. So when we stand there, we know that we are touching all things on the earth and we know that that is sacred. So if you have a place like that, that is your Mauna Kea. And then I say, what would you do for that place if it were threatened? That's what echoed throughout the movement to protect Mauna Kea. It's a moment from a new documentary, Standing Above the Clouds, by director Jelena Keen Lee, which recently screened at the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival. It follows the walk of several indigenous women who've made the commitment to protect Mauna Kea. Thanks to the filmmakers for letting us share some of their captivating work. Coming up, we'll hear where things currently stand with the Protect Mauna Kea efforts in the face of the COVID-19 pandemic. But first, we're going to reflect on what awoke this movement. I caught up with Kanaka Maoli cultural practitioner Pua Case. She, along with others, have raised awareness on the specialness of Mauna Kea for years. She says keeping sacred places safe has to come from within. As Native people, and I'm, I'm really going to say to all Native people who are standing right now, I say for my Mauna, if we just let them go ahead and build and don't try to stop them, we may just lay down and say, take everything. If we're going to let you take the most sacred, then what is this that we have after that? So can we just lay down? and let them take this mountain with a 30-meter, 18-story telescope? No, we cannot. No, we cannot. So now we are put into a position where we must stand. Pua is one of the many Native Hawaiians who opposed the $1.4 billion project to build a 30-meter telescope, which they say will further desecrate the sacred mountain. For years, there's been legal challenges to the construction. Here's more of the background. So for 10 years now, we have been successful in halting a a massive construction project of an 18-story telescope called the 30-meter telescope. 
majority of funding coming from the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation in California, but also uh, five countries, Canada, Japan, India, the United States, uh, through California, really, and uh, China to build this 18-story telescope on the northern plateau of our mountain over our water aquifers. And it would be the largest building on our island, which 18 stories is not allowed to be built anywhere on our island. And it has not ever passed the eight criteria to build in a conservation zone, but still uh, we have had to be in court, in the Supreme Court, contested case hearings, frontline action twice, and endless community work. For all of you out there, it's not just about the building of a telescope on, on our mountain. It's about a sacred mountain that is connected to other mountains around the world. It is about mountains that still speak to one another. It's about mountains that we are genealogically linked to and promised that we would safeguard. It's about the source of water. It's about fragile ecosystems and landscapes and our homeland. And it's about the last of the sacred, the most sacred. And there comes a time when a people, like our people, have no choice but to stand. We have a strong Native people here who are rising to say enough is enough. You can't just push through projects anymore that are pono'ole, that are not good for us or for our landscape or for our ancestors or for our descendants to come. And so all the way around the world, we have thousands and thousands of you who have seen that, who know that this is more than another construction project. And you have seen that you are an extension of our mountain. And you have said, I stand with you. So for 10 years, people and their allies and their relatives have stood together to say, no, not one more, not this time. The Pu'uhonua o Pu'uhuluhulu Manakea Facebook page captured this moment as the Unu, Kupukupu, Halau offered their appreciation for the Kapuna, or elders, and all those who came to the base of Manakea to hold ground. Since July of last year, hundreds, many of whom who call themselves Kia'i, or protectors, flocked to the camp that was erected at the base of the summit. Daily words about why this movement had to take place were shared over those camped out and others who came to show their solidarity. One pivotal moment was when 38 Kapuna were taken into custody. One of them was Mauna Kapuna Dr. Noi Noi Wong Wilson. She said it was an intense moment when elders asked to be the first ones taken by law enforcement. The world was watching via live feeds. Sometimes when I look back, if I have a chance to view the video again, it, it's very emotional, even for me. 
but we are still there in the court system, and that that process has been suspended while we uh, wait for the coronavirus to, you know, move along, <laughs> leave our community, or at least be able to return to somewhat normal. And so thinking of all this, and you shared a very special moment of when the Kapuna, the elders, wanted to be on the front lines. And now with what we're facing with this pandemic, we are in many ways kind of reversing those roles. What are your thoughts on just some of these flows of energy, protection, and respect? I think you're absolutely right. And and I think even though I'm a kupuna myself, that was our first and initial concern is, you know, God forbid we should survive an onslaught by law enforcement only to be taken down by a virus that none of us here in Hawaii have the ability to withstand. And I know that because all of the diseases that were introduced by foreigners coming to our lands were our people, our native people, my ancestors had no resilience to, no natural antibodies, no um, built-up antibodies, no, no ability to fend off the flu. Um, and not to mention all the other dread diseases that were brought into the community, like smallpox, like like syphilis and gonorrhea, like uh, tuberculosis. So, you know, that is seared into our genetic memory, into our DNA. It's seared into our bones. When people talk about diseases like coronavirus, Hawaiians just shudder to consider the impact that it could have on our community. We now go back to my conversation with Pua Case. For months at a time, people watched what was happening there uh, near the Mauna, and every day there was a connecting, um, a protocol that went on that called the people together. And so much was learned there in that spot where thousands have gathered to protect Mauna Kea and is now more a time than ever to look back at what was learned to help us through these times. With us on the Mauna, with everyone around the world that is standing with all that they have and with all that they can do for the places and the lifeways, the waters and the land that are essential, pivotal, to the future generations of those peoples of the land and really to all people. If we haven't learned something from watching, from participating, from partaking, from immersing ourselves in these movements, in these stances, um, I don't know what else is going to teach us. The mountain is the unifier, the sealant, the teacher, and the guide, the protector, and the corrector. And that's what we saw. And that's how we conducted ourselves. And even the mere fact of how to conduct oneself in a sacred space, we call it the Vawakua, the place where the Akua, the, the deities, the nature beings, the spirit, the creator still dwells and teaches. That is what you experience if you came to the Mauna or if you followed every day. You saw where prayer led, dictated, guided conduct in an upright manner, where kapu aloha, the manner in which you conduct yourself, not just in the place, but with each other, was 
everything was significant, was the means by which we could stand, whether we were 30 or whether we were 3,000. So to have gone through eight and a half months of that every day, praying three times a day, those prayers are all on the mountain. We just have to tap in. Like many things across the planet, COVID-19 affected plans and actions that were in play, including the stand at Mauna Kea. Dr. Kalama Oka'aina Niheu, the co-founder of the Mauna Medics Healer Hui and family practice physician, spent much of her time in the past year at the Protect Mauna Kea encampment. Here she is talking about the latest move from the area because of the pandemic. We've always put the health and well-being of our people, our Lahui, and most primarily our kupuna at the top of our priority list, no matter what stance we might take in protecting the Mauna. And while we were focusing on the Mauna, this entire situation started taking off and becoming a global pandemic, um, originally out of Wuhan, China, and then spreading really throughout the rest of the world. And as we were monitoring both fronts, our responsibility as the Medicillus Hui is to keep an eye out for all the public health concerns. And as we started seeing this rise in this pandemic and as the World Health Organization declared a, a global emergency and as uh, Hawaii and the United States and other countries throughout the world subsequently followed through, we could see that gathering together at this point not only would uh, endanger our kia'i, our mauna, but also put at risk uh, our community who would continue who are still looking at, towards the mauna and gathering together. And so like all things that we've done with the Mauna Kea movement, we try to be at the forefront of that so that we can not only protect our people, but also educate them and uplift them and in a way that empowers them to understand what's going on. So not only do we utilize our platform to uh, share that information with our people, but we've also uh, been trying to make sure that we're always a part of the community. Kiai are all a part and parcel, are, are the actually the blood and sinew of Kapai Aino Hawaii. We are the children of the land. And so we uh, had to take the first step forward in really demonstrating to the rest of the community that we needed to um, stop gathering together in groups and, and start pr- implementing social distancing. Now, regards to, in regards to leaving, that there is um, there are people who continue to maintain uh, vigilance uh, for the Mauna. Uh, they may not be as readily uh, visible, but we are ready at any moment to protect the Mauna if necessary. And I wouldn't say that necessarily everybody has left it. I would say that we're less of a visible presence, but the eyes are always there. The makainana or the eyes of the land are always, their eyes are on the Mauna and whatever we need to do to protect her. Pua had this to add. When the so-called um, pandemic was um, really getting on the continent and really just beginning to make its way here, we found ourselves already on the Mauna with just a core group because we did not see imminent threat of construction maybe for the past uh, two months before we made the decision to come down. So we really had a core group there and we were still conducting our prayers three times a day. People were still coming up the Mauna three times a day. And so we started looking at perhaps it was a time where we could go downside, where we could uh, preserve our resources 
of how much it takes to run a camp. And then the messenger team, you know, the, the virus team. And we looked at that and really what helped to make the decision along with our core um, organizers and our medic was um, looking at how we drew people to the mountain every day. And we didn't want to bring the virus the mountain uh, through the aha and the ceremonies we were conducted where everyone was invited you know there were people from all around the world every day coming we didn't want to um, spread it in that way so there were a lot of factors uh, in having us come down so we're presently we have asked um, every single person on the Mauna to come down from the mountain and really let our Mauna rest but knowing that if we hear anything about construction the question is, would we go back up at this point? Um, and I can only speak for myself that, uh, yes, I would, but in the best way that I know how to go up to the Mauna. Noi Noi shared how the kia'i and others' time is being used while not being on the Mauna. We spend a lot of our time still quarantined in our homes, where we're still under a stay-at-home order of the Mar governor. And we are uh, doing everything we can, communicating with people on our FaceTime, Face on our uh, Zoom meetings and and, uh, on our computers, just making sure that we can um, have an impact on the project so that it doesn't continue uh, to keep our eye out to make sure that people are not making any moves to bring equipment on the mountain. And um, and in fact, looking at the larger pictures as well as how our economy can resume, um, having learned the lessons that the COVID experience brought us. Pua said this time is also an opportunity for the land to heal. What I do see is our island home taking a breather, really repairing itself. I can hear the mountains singing. I can see the ocean receding. And every creature, every flying, crawling, swimming creature just taking a really big breath. And I think, you know, we are able to see that here in Hawaii and understand um, the impact that we all have on our island homes. Upua, thank you so much. And anything you want to leave me with? I want to leave you with uh, part of a prayer that we do to our um, our ancestral guides. We call them our Almakua. When we have shown that we are forwarding or we are asking in an upright manner, we say, Eho maika ike, Eho maika ikaika, Eho maika akamai, Eho maika maupupono, Eho maika ike papalua, Eho maika mana. And we are asking for all of the things that we need. We are asking for knowledge, for understanding, for strength, for wisdom, for vision, be beyond what we see. And we are asking for the spiritual guidance and power and empowerment to be able to do that. And then may we go forward. So, meke aloha nui ya oko pakahia pau mai mauna awakea moku keafe all of you Mauna Kea Ohana everywhere around the world truly blessings make aloha nui and aloha to all of you
Thank you for listening to episode three of Illuminative On Air. If you like what you heard today, please consider giving us five stars and reviewing us in Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcast. This episode was produced by Tara Gatewood. Our executive producer is Heather Ray. I'm the series producer and Lincoln Cornshucker is our associate producer. Sound engineering is by Paul Vitolinch. Music from Samantha Crane. Today's outro song is from recording artist Havane Rios. She is Kanaka Maoli and the daughter of Pua Case, the indigenous advocate that Tara Gatewood introduced us to. The song is about rising together and is a call to all the directions and the ancestors to keep us safe as we face the day. This podcast would not be possible without the support from the Doris Duke Charitable Foundation, the Shakopee Midewakanton Sioux Community, and the Macy Family Foundation. We're back next week with another episode of Illuminative On Air. Take care, relatives. Stay home and protect your elders. Peace.